الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله الناصح الأمين اللهم صل على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين ومن تمسك بسنته إلى يوم الدين ثم أما بعد حدثني جماعة من الشيوخ يحبكم الله وهو حديث مسلسل بالأولية بإسناد كل إلى سفيان بن عيينة عن عمر بن دينار عن أبي قابوس مولى عبد الله بن عمر عن عبد الله بن عمر بن عاص رضي الله تعالى عنهما عن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال الراحمون يرحمهم الرحمن يرحم من في الأرض يرحمكم من في السماء This hadith is a hadith that is tremendous and it is incumbent that we remind ourselves by way of it that the Prophet wasallam he said that those who are merciful and those who show mercy then they will be shown mercy by the most merciful. And this is befitting because al-ilm rahmah because knowledge is mercy. Natijatuhu rahmah fid-dunya the result of knowledge is mercy here in this world. Waghayatuhu rahmah fil-akhirah and the end result of knowledge is mercy in the hereafter. It is incumbent that we are earnest when it comes to the seeking of knowledge and that we put forward our best effort when it comes to seeking knowledge because knowledge is something that we are, each and every one of us, we are in need of. And from the best and the most finest of means by way in which one could employ in doing anything in life that is to beg Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and to ask him jalla wa'ala for that in which you're looking for and from those narrations from the that yani is off mentioned and from the supplications that is off mentioned as relates to this is that tremendous dua Allahumma Allahumma anfa'na bima allamtana Oh Allah benefit us with that which you have taught us benefit us with that which you have taught us this is of tremendous benefit or tremendous yani, uh, importance that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he benefits us with that which he has taught us Naam. وَعَلِمْنَا مَا يَنْفَعْنَا And teach us that which will benefit us. And to teach us that which will benefit us. Naam. وَزِدْنَا عِلْمًا And to increase us in knowledge. 
and to increase us in knowledge. Because as we know, not all knowledge is beneficial knowledge. Not all knowledge benefits. And therefore, and therefore you find that it is also incumbent that we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us beneficial knowledge and that we seek refuge in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from that knowledge that does not benefit. Naam. We continue going over the tremendous hadith, the hadith of Jibreel from that tremendous collection of work Arba'in uh, Al-Nawiyyah the 40 hadith of Imam Al-Nawi we are still dealing with the the section where Jibreel alayhi salatu wassalam he asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam to inform him what is Islam Naam. and we're still speaking about the shahadatan the testimony of faith, the shahada and we're still going over those things that are necessitated from the shahada and those things that we benefit from as relates to the shahada Naam. and from that as the Fadil Shaykh Al-Alama Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Al-Abad Al-Badr he mentions that the shahada when one reflects over it it necessitates that we make all of our actions all of our deeds purely and sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is of tremendous importance uh, if we truly want to benefit from our deeds. And also when one looks at the construction of the shahada and that which is contained in the testimony, then they will also find what tiba' ma ja'a bihi Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the following of that which the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came with. This is of tremendous importance and its value can never be underestimated because if we want to benefit from our actions then our actions have to be sincerely for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then they have to be in accordance to the sunnah of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam and this is what is necessitated uh, by the shahada uh, the shaykh he says وَهُمَا مُقْتَضَى شَهَادَةِ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَأَنَّ مُحَمَّدًا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ he said and this is what is necessitated by the testimony of La ilaha illallah, that none has the right to be worshipped in truth except Allah, and from the testimony wa anna Muhammad and Rasulullah, and it verily Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. It necessitates that we single out Allah alone with all of our actions, and it necessitates that we follow the Prophet. Now, when one reflects over the likes of this, then they will realize that anything shy of this is not acceptable. Anything shy of this, then it will not benefit us. Ma'am, anything less than this, it will not benefit us. So if a person, if they were to make shirk with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as it relates to their actions, will they benefit? But the answer is no, that action will not count. Okay, likewise, if a person were to employ an act or they were employ a manner yani, of worshipping that was contrary, foreign to that which was taught by the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, would this benefit them? No, it will not. Ma'am? But you will find, unfortunately, that there are many from the Muslims who they don't give a great concern for following the Prophet Muhammad But rather, they will point you to one of their mashayikh, uh, so on and so forth, and they will yani, make it incumbent upon the people to follow Sheikh so-and-so. Sheikh so-and-so said, Naam. We were taught this by Sheikh such and such, and so on and so forth. But our deen is not 
yani, restricted by the teachings of this sheikh or that sheikh, but rather the teachings of this sheikh and that sheikh, then they are looked at in light of the book in the sunnah. And if they coincide with the book in the sunnah, then they are acceptable. If they go contrary to the book in the sunnah, then they are not acceptable, they are rejected. Because after all, whoever this sheikh is or that sheikh is, so on and so forth, they are not food. They are not the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. They are not those who have been sent by Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So, yani, as Imam Malik, Rahimullah Ta'ala, he used to say, that everyone, yukhad, من قوله ويرد إلا صاحب هذا القبر وأشار إلى قبر النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم. The Imam Malik رحمة الله عليه used to say that everyone his statement it could be accepted or it could be rejected except for the owner of this grave and then he will point to the grave of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم. So anyone from the human beings outside of the Prophet نعم صلى الله عليه وسلم if they say something, it can be accepted. If what? If it coincides with the sunnah of the Prophet then it's accepted. If it coincides with the Quran, it's accepted. If it is contrary, then we reject it. Because al-haq wa yutba' Because the truth has more right to be followed. That makes sense? But, the shahada necessitates this. When we testify that Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the messenger of Allah, then therefore this is our acknowledgement. By acknowledging that, then it is it only makes sense by default. Then we will follow Allah's messenger, Naam. Because what benefit would it be to acknowledge that Naam Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam is the messenger of Allah, but then we don't follow it? What sense would it make to, yeah, to make that testimony or to bring forth that acknowledgement? But we're acknowledging that because we know he has to be followed, Naam. That he has to be followed because the messengers they are there to be what to be followed. Right? Like, amal and every action in Allah Azza wa Jal, Every action that a person does seeking to draw near unto Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, then it is a must that it be sincerely for Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, mutabiqan. The Sunnah of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and implementing the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now, any action. So, if a person prays, for example, then he has to pray upon the manner that was taught to us by the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and this is the command of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Sallu kama ra'aytumuni usalli. Pray as you see me praying. So, it is a must that when we pray, we pray in accordance to how we learned from the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And utilize that as a frame of reference for other than that, as your measuring stick. So every action that we do from the actions that we have to do it in a manner that was taught by the Prophet we have to do it applying the sunnah of the Prophet in every action of the, of the deen. So when we look at it from that standpoint, right? That we have to apply the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ in every aspect of the deen. And when we acknowledge the fact that if we were to if we were to implement or to apply other than the Prophet's sunnah, وسلم, then it will not be accepted, but rather that, that thing will be rejected. Now, and once we have come to know this, and we have come to know that, that which is contrary to the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, then it is a bid'ah, 
It is an innovation, right? But once we come to know the aforementioned facts, could it be fathomable that there can be a such thing as a bid'ah, hasana, a good bid'ah? Is it fathomable? No. <laughs> how can it be a good bid'ah? If, if you do the bid'ah, then it's not accepted. So how can it be good? Anything that you use to seek nearness into Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if it's bid'ah, it's not accepted. So how can it be hasana? How can something good be rejected? Now, the Prophet said, That whoever does an action does not have on it my command is rejected. Rad, a mardud. It's rejected. It won't be accepted. So, something that is not eligible for acceptance, how can it ever be good? <clears throat> right? How can it ever be good? And therefore, it's of no benefit to us. But in fact, it's a waste of time. It's a waste of time. Right? So, when we understand this, how would you feel about a person who points out to you, this is what the sunnah is, and this here is foreign to the sunnah, it's actually bid'ah, stay away from it. Would you have any, yeah, any hatred in your heart for that person? No, this person is looking out for you. He's doing you a tremendous favor because he's showing you what is good, and he's, and he's warning you from what is harmful. This is tremendously beneficial to us. This is beneficial knowledge. Why? Because like anything else, you don't want to waste your time. Right? That's like if, you're, if, you're, if your lawn was overgrown. Your lawn was overgrown. And you decided, for whatever reason, that you're going to get a lawnmower with blades made from tissue. Right? Not that such a thing exists. I don't think so. It would be yeah, foolish. But I don't could hide. You have a lawnmower, or you have a, yeah, need a toy lawnmower that the kids have, and you say, I'm going to mow my lawn, right? You would appreciate the one that came and told you, that's not going to cut the grass. You're going to, yeah, you know, weigh yourself out, right? You might get sunstroke, heat stroke, all this stuff, and you're not going to cut your grass at the end of the affair. So don't use that, but rather use a real lawnmower. You wouldn't get mad at that person. Why are you trying to rain on my parade? You're always negative. You're a naysayer. No, he's looking out for you because he's, he's trying to help you so that you do not waste your time. Now, so now, how much more so something that would not only would it waste your time, but it will also get you in trouble with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then that's, 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 a very, that's a very outstanding you know, favor and gesture that a person would do for another person. It's important we understand the likes of this. When we hear individuals who have an aversion to being yeah, shown what is the sunnah and, and being pointed out what is bid'ah, and they say things like, you people, all you hear from is bid'ah, 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 bid'ah. Right? Which one is not true, it's not all you hear, so that's a lie. But even, even, even if, yeah, then the question goes, comes to mind, or at least my mind, so, so what is it, you, you like bid'ah? I mean, <laughs> what's, what's the problem, I don't understand. Even if that was the case, what's the issue? At least we're showing you what not to do, right? Is it that you like the other way? I mean, I don't know. What's, why are you taking such offense to it? I don't know. That's, that, that sounds more like that's a his problem and not a our problem, right? That that person has to search himself and see what's wrong. That, yeah, I mean, he feels this way. We have to implement the sunnah of the Prophet The Shaykh, he says, if ikhlas is devoid of action, if it's missing ikhlas, it's missing sincerity, then it will not count. 
due to the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal وَقَدِمْنَا وَقَدِمْنَا إِلَى مَا عَمِلُوا مِنْ عَمِلٍ فَجَعَلْنَاهُ هَبَاءً مَنْثُورًا That it was brought to us what they have done from actions, meaning these mushrikun, these polytheists. It was presented to us what they had done from actions, and we made it like scattered dust. You made it like scattered dust particles. Because the mushrik, even if they come with an action that it upon its... Uh, face value looks to be a good righteous action right for example feeding the poor right clothing uh the the poor and the needy right um so on and so forth these are these are good things these are good things but muslim does them seeking yani uh, uh the pleasure of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they'll be rewarded tremendously for the charity that they're given okay so on the face value it's a good it's a good wholesome thing but if they're doing it in the name of Jesus, or if they're doing it yani, for Buddha, or they're doing it for yani, whoever the case is, right? It's not accepted. It's voided. Although it appears to be a good, a good thing, they will get no reward for it. So these polytheists, when they come on the Day of Judgment, these people who made shirk and, and, and the people of polytheism, then their actions will be like scattered dust. It will not count. Or that they that they have done be like dust, nothing. So now, if there was a mountain, a mountain chain, right, and it seems so, yani Subhanallah, but then it was made to scatter dust. Then is what? It's nothing. It's nothing. You can run straight through it. It's nothing. Now, but also, according to or due to the statement of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, as it comes in Hadith Qudsi, now Hadith Qudsi. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said, He said, I am the one who was most independent from shirk. I'm the one who doesn't need any type of partners or association yani, with me in any which way, shape, or form. Whoever does an action and in that action he associates other than me with me, then I will leave him and his shirk, his shirk. Yani, and what he has done is him and his and, and his shirk is abandoned. I will abandon him and his shirk. And yani, hadith on Sahih, Rawahu Muslim. Now, so from this hadith and from the aforementioned ayah, we see that if shirk mixes with an action, or to say it another way, if an action is the void of sincerity, is the void from ikhlas, then it will not count. It will not count in any which way, shape, or form. And if it is missing the following, the following of the sunnah, yani, then the action is rejected. According to his statement, that whoever introduces into this affair of ours that which is not from it, then it is rejected. So this means what? Whoever makes up a bid'ah. Whoever invents the bid'ah, whoever comes up with it, right? Then it's rejected. Okay, does that cover the follower too? No, that narration doesn't cover the follower. It only covers the one who invented it. That if someone invents an innovation, it's rejected, right? So now, does the, does the follower say, well, I have a way out. This hadith, it only says the one who introduces it. You see? And this is why, I'm going to use this as an example to show you why it's important that not just that a person brings delete, not just that a person brings a proof of evidence, 
But they bring that proof of evidence in its proper context. They bring the proof of evidence in its proper context. They don't hide any information. They don't, they don't, they don't hide the other narrations that come to speak on that issue. But rather they bring all the proofs of evidences. And this is why they mention that it is not sufficient to bring a proof right, when it comes to an issue that has multiple aspects to it. But rather you have to bring all the proofs and the evidences on that issue to get the right understanding. Because if a person just brought this hadith and say this hadith is authentic, you see, this hadith is saying that that if a person introduces something, it's rejected. So now the people who follow it, uh, it's different, right? No, you got to bring. So what's the, is there, there's no other hadith on this issue? Of course, there's another hadith. That's the hadith that comes yani, from the narration of Muslim, where um, the Prophet sallallahu said. Man amila amala lisa alayhi amruna fahuraddun whoever does an action that does not have on it our fear is rejected. So a person can come and say the first hadith authentic, that's it, right? No, close your ears. No, 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 it's another hadith. This hadith covers the one who who who, who follows. So now who is covered? Both. The one who invented it, action is rejected, and the one who followed that which was invented, action rejected. Now so it's incumbent that we yani, uh, understand that you have to utilize the proof and the evidence properly. Now, utilize the proof and the evidence properly. Now, the Shaykh says, that this jumla here, the second one, meaning the second hadith, is more general than the first because this one encompasses the one who does the action. And yani, uh, the, yani, the one who acts in accordance to it, and likewise the one who invented it. It covers both of them. It covers both of them. Naam, man fa'alaha mutabi'an Whoever does it following other than him. And then the Shaykh says, Sayati al ishara ila shayin min ma yata'allaqu bisalaat wa zakat wa siyam wa hajj fil hadith ibn Umar. And there will come more details. As that which is related to the pillars of Islam, that which the other pillars of Islam, that which is related to salat and zakat and siyam and hajj, in the hadith of Ibn Umar, which is the next hadith, and Ibuni al Islam al Khams, and Islam is built upon five. And is the hadith that comes after this hadith. And his statement, he said, You have spoken the truth. Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, فَعَجَبَنَا لَهُ يَسْأَلُهُ وَيُصَدِّقُهُ He said, we became amazed by him. You ask a question and then you give the answer. And then, and then, and then, and then you testify to the truth of the answer or you acknowledge the truth of the answer. He said, that, that was uh, amazing to us. Naam. But what should ta'ajub? The person was saying, why is it amazing? Why would that shock you? Why is that shocking? Uh, the shaykh, he mentions, he says, and the reason why this is shocking, أَنَّ الْغَالِبْ عَلَى السَّائِلِ يَنِ كَوْنُهُ غَيْرُ الْعَالِمِ he said, because what is customary, or what is, yani, uh, in, 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 in most cases, is that the questioner is unaware of the answer. The questioner does not know the answer. Naam, فَهُوَ يَسْأَلْ So he asks, Naam, لِيَصِّلَ إِلَى الْجَوَابِ He asks so that he can reach the answer. He can find out what is the answer, because he doesn't know. Naam, وَمِثْلُهُ لَا يَقُولُ and someone that is like this who doesn't know, then he doesn't say, he doesn't say to the one who he asks, either he doesn't say when he asks somebody something, oh yeah, you spoke the truth. Because if you knew that that was the truth, then you would not be in need of asking. 
Nam. And this is the Rilema, some of the Rilema, they point out um, that from the good edeb of the student with the teacher is that when, the, when you ask a question and the teacher is giving you the answer, then you don't reply to him by saying, nah, nah, hey, nah, nah. Because that's implied that you already know the answer. So what you asking for? Sheikh, and like, Sheikh, I got a question. Okay, go ahead, ask it. Then, he, then you ask the question. He start giving the answer. Nah, hey, nah. Ah, hey, nah. SubhanAllah, this is from bad adab. Nah, that you shouldn't say that. And, and we know it's customary. People say it. Yeah, and it's just from, you know, they don't send anything behind it. It's just, you know, from yeah, habit or, or, or whatever. Yeah, and he, uh, from, from these, uh, you know, normalities in, uh, in speech, what they constantly use and so on and so forth. But, however, this is not from proper adab. Is that they should listen attentively nah, and not respond with the likes of this because that gives the impression that you already know the answer. And if you already know the answer, then why are you asking the question? Especially if you call in or you just you and the sheikh and you're asking a question no one else can benefit from, then, then why you ask a question you already know the answer to? Because the, the, yani, the occasion where you do ask a question that you already know the answer to, that is so who benefits? Everyone else that hears. Okay, so if you call the sheikh by yourself, or you with the sheikh and you by yourself and you ask a question that you already know the answer to, what's the benefit? What's the benefit, right? Now, so it, it, it is incumbent that we employ these uh, good behavior when we deal with the, the ulama and our teachers. He said, he said, because if the, if the questioner, he testifies to the truthfulness of the one who he's questioning, the one who's providing the answer, he said, then it shows that he had, that previously he already knew the answer. This shows that he previously already knew what the answer was, and he had an answer for the question that he already asked. Well, he had that, and this is why the Sahaba, they were amazed. Why? Because... It was, they knew that if a person asks a question, it's because they didn't know the answer. If a person asks a question, they know that they didn't know the answer, right? Because who will come to the Prophet so and ask a question they already know the answer to? You come to the Prophet so and because you want to learn, because you want to know. Now, so when they see that he, yani he said this, then they became amazed because now this is an indication this is not an ordinary sitting. This questioner, we already said, is not ordinary. You know, none of us knows him. And he came, he had extremely white, you know, thalbone, extremely black hair, which means what? There was no dust on his thaw because it was extremely white, right? There was no, his hair was extremely black. So that means there was no dust, no sand in his hair. Extremely, extremely black. Now, we did not see any sign to travel on him. And no one knew him. So there's always an indication that this is not an ordinary sitting. This is not... An everyday situation. This is different, ma'am. And this lends to that reality that this is different. This is different. So the Sahaba they became amazed that he asked a question and then he knew the answer, ma'am. Ma'am, and 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 the Sheikh the Sheikh says that they became amazed that 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 he testified, ma'am. That is true. That 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 is uh, true. Uh, from this stranger who was asking a question, from the stranger who was asking a question. And his statement when he said, and inform me what is Iman. Inform me what is 
الإيمان نعم فقال صلى الله عليه وسلم أن تؤمن بالله وملائكته وكتبه ورسله ويوم الآخر وأن تؤمن بالقدر خيره وشره to believe in Allah and in his angels and in the books and in the messengers and in the day of judgment and to believe in qadr the good and bad of it نعم فهذا الجواب مشتمل على أركان الإيمان ستة and this جواب this answer it encompasses the six articles of Iman now this is something for the parents something for the parents right is that it is incumbent that we test our children to make sure they know what are the five pillars of Islam and what are the six articles of Iman. It's important that we test our children about this, right? Because a person takes shahada, a person becomes Muslim, right? Or even a person giving the person dawah, even before they become Muslim. What are some of the first things you explain to them? What are, na'am, tawheed, bila shak, bila right? Right? But you also mention to them what? The pillars of Islam and articles of faith. Or the pillars of faith, however you want to translate that, right? You mention that to them. When, 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 when you have new shahada classes and so on and so forth, what are from those key elements that are being taught to them? Pillars of Islam, pillars of faith, or the articles of faith as they translate them, right? These are important things. So if we, if we acknowledge, this means that we acknowledge on some level that this is from the rudimentary yani, information that a person has to know. This is from that basic information that every Muslim has to know. So now the question becomes, how come we don't quiz our children to make sure they know this information? How come we don't quiz them to make sure they know this? We don't test them. What are the pillars of Islam? What are the articles of Iman? Now, to make sure they know them. And it's important that they know them so that they know the level of these things inside of their deen. The pillars of the deen, these are pillars of the deen, right? And they've been called pillars because... Like support structures, if you remove a support structure, what happens? Then the structure collapses. It falls down. Right? So if they understand that these are key aspects of your deen. These are non-negotiables. The articles of Iman, non-negotiable. Everything that Allah tells you to do, non-negotiable. Everything in the Quran, non-negotiable. Anything in the Sunnah, non-negotiable. Samana wa that's it. You understand? But it's to highlight these particular things that these are not negotiable, right? This will help them in their life. So they will never underestimate the importance of the prayer. So that now, that, that young man, when he gets up, he gets big, and, yeah, and he uh, gets a job and so on and so forth, and his employer telling him, nah, you, you can't break when it's time for vuhur. That young man's going to have a problem with that? As far as that's going to, yeah, he's not going to pray vuhur? No, he's going to be like, I listen, you ain't worried about you. They're going to pray vuhur. Why? Because he's not scared of no man. The only man they mentioned, side point, but the only man they mentioned that to be scared of a human being, then this points to a muddle book. This points to a sickness in a person's heart. This person's sick. Because in essence, why would you be scared of another person? When, mashallah, can, whatever Allah wills is, whatever he does not will is not. You understand? The risk is in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He gives to whom he pleases. So if this employer man say, no, you can't pray, what do you think that means we're not going to pray? We're going to pray anyway. That, because at the end of the day, you don't control my risk. You don't control my risk. If you hire me or fire me, I'm still going to eat what I'm supposed to eat. I'm still going to drink what I'm supposed to drink. I'm still, whatever from risk is supposed to reach me, still going to reach me. Now, you're not the only, you know, you're not the only gang on the block. 
There's another job over there. If not, then one another one around there, down that way, down that street. You understand? Because regardless, the, your risk is going to come to you. So you're never put in a situation where you feel as if you have to compromise your religion. You have to compromise your deen because you're trying to chase a paycheck. No, if, 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 if my risk is not here, then it's over there. But you know what? It's somewhere. If I'm supposed to live longer, then it's going to reach me. It's going to reach me. Whether I chase after it or I run from it, it's still going to reach me. Now, but these, these are key and important things that we have to teach our children so they know the importance of their religion. That It's not negotiable. Jumah is not negotiable. I'm going to Jumah. Praying is not negotiable. I'm going to pray. Fasting in Ramadan is not negotiable. I'm going to fast in Ramadan. Being a Muslim is not negotiable. I'm going to be a Muslim. That's it. It's not negotiable. Ain't no job is going to put no pressure on me to say otherwise. But that comes if you have a strong foundation. Like that doesn't come out of nowhere. It comes with a strong foundation. And what's that foundation? Is that they know the pillars of Islam and the, and the pillars of faith. A person that does not know this, it will be unfathomable and reasonable to expect them to have this level of fortitude. How? Fortitude, how? Fortitude means you have a strong foundation, it's strong. You have no foundation, then there's no surprise when you can tip them over. You understand? If you put a pole in, in loosely inside sand and someone come and he push it down, no one gets amazed by that. No, oh, he's so strong. No, anyone can push it down. You can put a pole in sand. Right? But if you put a pole in the middle of concrete and it sets and it's strong and then someone come and push it down, now, whoa, how did that happen? What's going on? That's not normal. Because that's a strong foundation. How far? Because you expect something with a strong foundation to be firm. Now, so if we want our children to be firm, they have to have strong foundations. And I'm stressing this. I'm stressing this for the parents in particular. Because all of the, the, the teachers in Islamic schools, right, they'll tell you. Parents do the, the greatest disservice to their children. They provide them no foundation. They totally destroy them, right, from the floor up. Then they bring them to you after 16 years of destroying them, 18 years destroying them. 12 years destroying them, 9 years destroying them, they bring them to you and say, this boy broke, fix him. What you mean fix him? He come to, one, he come to me one day a week, I'm supposed to fix what? What you've been working 12 years to destroy? I'm supposed to fix that in one day a week? How? You have to curb your expectations. That's unreasonable. That's not fair. That's oppression you're asking me to fix that child. That you don't spend all this time telling him he can be whatever he, do whatever he want, how he want, when he wants, so on and so forth. You want me to provide for him structure? And I see him for an hour a week and I'm supposed to provide structure? That you're not providing in the home? SubhanAllah. And some of these bad behind kids, when you start trying to provide a structure, what they tell you? Well, my, my, my Abby don't tell me I got to do that. Well, I'm going to ask my mother. She said, I ain't got my homie saying said I have to do that. So now where do you stand? They, they've taken all the wind out your sails, right? <laughs> where do you stand? SubhanAllah. What are you going to do it anyway? You're in my class, you're going to sit here, you're going to do it. Or you can go somewhere else. Right? So what I'm saying is that stop living in a fairy tale land. Right? We got to stop living in a fairy tale land. If you want your children to be upon good, it starts from the home. You have to build that foundation. Once you build that foundation, then it's easy to bring them outside to help decorate that which has a strong foundation, you know, to, 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 to help enhance that which is already there, so on and so forth. But to bring someone a condemned building and, and tell them, okay, turn it around, you know, one day a week and make it pristine, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen.
right? We have to make sure our children, they know these things. Now, the Sheikh, he says, so this answer, it encompasses and it includes the pillars, the six pillars of Iman. The six pillars of Iman. And there's, some, there's some ch a couple of children here. We're not going to ask them because we don't want to embarrass their parents. Oh, they probably know the answer. We'll, 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 we'll save it, right? Until another time. But the Sheikh, he says, He said, the first of these foundations is belief in Allah. Is belief in Allah. Naam. This is of extreme importance. If a person has doubt in Allah, that's it. There's nothing else. A person has doubt in their belief as relates to Allah, is nothing else. Naam. And again, I'm stressing this to the parents. I'm stressing this, right? Because parents, they don't spend enough time educating their children about their religion. They don't spend enough time educating their children, teaching them so they believe properly in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They don't spend time doing that. But then they send them to school. And they think, oh, this is secular education, inter interdisciplinary studies, right? So you send your children to school. Do you think, and I want every parent to ask themselves this, when you send your child to a public school on whatever level that is, but especially the bigger levels, middle school and, and even elementary school, subhanAllah, even elementary school, mm -hmm. when you send your children to school, do you really believe that they are not teaching your child a creed? Do you really believe they're not teaching your child an aqidah? They're not teaching your children a set of beliefs? Do you really believe that? Do you believe they're not teaching your children a set of beliefs? And the reason I'm saying this is because there has been uh, many Muslims, many Muslim youth, many Muslim youth, that now that they're in college, right, they are expressing that they're having doubts about certain fundamental aspects of Islam. They're having doubts. They have doubts about their religion. They don't know if Islam is the truth. They don't know and so on. But when you sit and you speak with these children, what do you find out? You find out that they don't have a foundation. They start asking you questions about, well, how do we rectify the Big Bang Theory with the Quran and so on and so forth and this and that. But what, you, what, 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 what comes out of that is that in depth and detail, they don't know the teachings of Islam as relates to this. They don't know. All they know is Darwinism. That's their, that's their foundation of their creed. Darwinism, intellectualism, so on and so forth. Now, that's their, that's their origin. That's all they know. But when it comes down... But when it comes down to the, the, the Islamic creed as it relates to these matters, they don't know them. So they can't answer simple questions. You with me? That is a problem. When they ask you, well, how do we know Allah exists? SubhanAllah. Are you serious? You're asking me that kind of a question. Based on what? Well, you know, things have to be quantifiable. Well, who taught you that? Who taught you things have to be quantifiable? In other words, who taught you that things have to agree and coincide with your intellect before they could be accepted? Before they deemed as true, you have to be able to intellectualize them. Now they're deemed as being true. Right? Who taught you that concept? Where did that, where did that creed, where did that principle come from? It didn't come from the masjid. It came from the public school. Right? And the more they go, then the, the worse it gets. So now, when a child comes and they tell you that gender is fluid, 
Where they get that from? They learned that in the masjid? That gender is fluid? A person can pick? Just because you're born a boy, that don't mean you're really a boy. Perhaps you're a girl. Perhaps you're something that's undefinable. You're not a he nor a she. You're a they and it and a whatever. He, she. Right? No, some say, oh, no, no. Uh, they, they're not a he, they're not a she. They are they and a it and a them. What in the world? Who you get that from? <laughs> right? Even in English language, you go back 100 years of English language, that such didn't exist. What do you mean? They, we, you know, what do you mean? Gender, gender neutral pronouns? What? What? Where you get that from? But children are coming back saying this. And it's sad, but you have grown fools online talking about Muslims for LGBTQ, whatever. You know, they add, they add names all the time, I mean, letters all the time. Might be another name, letter after Q in three months, who knows, right? A Muslim, pro-Muslim for that. And then he put the, 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 the rainbow flag and all this type. Are you Muslim? Are you pro? How? I don't understand. What do you mean? Who taught you that that was okay? Who taught you that that was a good thing? All of this, I'm saying this to say is that what? All of this comes from somewhere. And if the children don't have a strong foundation, then they are going to be susceptible to the likes of these things. But if we don't have a strong foundation, then we're not going to be able to provide them with a strong foundation. Because in fact, the one who's deprived of something, he doesn't have the ability uh, to give it. So it is incumbent, it is a must that we build them with a strong foundation. Because if they don't believe in Allah, right? If a person doesn't believe in Allah, then they're not going to believe in the rest of the pillars. The belief in Allah, then that is the, that is the foundation. That is the assas. That is the assas for Iman. That is the foundation for Iman. Yani, uh, uh, in everything that requires belief like what, what, what a person have a khushur can they have khushur and salah if they don't believe in Allah no no would he give feasibly laugh if he don't believe in Allah no would he fast in Ramadan if he don't believe in Allah no for what right that is the origin the stronger the belief in Allah then the more a person will be able to be uh, yani, uh, submit themselves unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَلِهَذَا أُضْغِفَ إِلَيْهِ مَلَائِكَ And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He connected each of them back to Him. Right? Because it says, and تُؤْمِنَ بِاللَّهِ To believe in Allah وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ And in His angels. Now, وَكُتُ بِهِ In His books. وَرُسُلِهِ In His messengers. That's why it says His messengers. Why? Because belief in Allah is the origin. That makes sense? Belief in Allah is the origin. Naam? And everything else follows that. And that's why it comes in this construction. To believe in His angels, in His messengers. Yani, uh, his books and His messengers. Also, the Ramadan, they point out a very, a very beautiful benefit. They said, if you look at this benefit, naam, and you look at the order in which the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned, because Allah, we know, that's the first. right? But how come angels is mentioned next? And then after angels, how come books? Then after books, yani, how come messengers? They say we benefit from that construction. Why? They said because if you believe in the books, then Allah sends down the books by way of who? The angels. So the angels come before the books. So the angels, they bring down the books. Who do they bring the books to? The messengers. So that's why they mention angels, books, messengers. Right? The, the angels, they bring the books to the two the messengers to the prophets and the messengers now and that's why it comes in that order that's something that we that uh that that, that we benefit now and those things is that what that'll get you prepared for what day the last day the last day that which Allah has sent down the messengers he has sent to teach us that's that's how you get ready for the last day 
Naam, and to believe in qadr, the good of it and the bad of it. Sheikh goes on and he says, so this is why the malaika, the books and the messengers, they are yani, uh, connected, Allah connects them to himself. Whoever does not believe in Allah, he will not believe in the rest of the of the pillars. Al-Iman Al-Iman Belief in Allah it encompasses belief in his existence. Belief in his existence. And belief in his lordship. And belief in worship. That all worship belongs unto him. And to believe in his names and in his attributes. And that he is described with every perfection that is suitable for him. Every perfection that is suitable for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is described with. He is the, yeah, the, the, the one who is perfect. وَمُنَزَّهُنْ عَنْ كُلِّ نَقْصٍ And he is, yani, is negated from him, جل, every deficiency, every shortcoming. There is no shortcoming, no deficiency that is linked unto Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but he is above and far removed from all types of shortcomings and deficiencies. And this, in fact, is the meaning of subhanallah. The one who is far removed yani, from any type of deficiencies, uh, in shortcomings. Naam. Fayajibu. Yani. Tawheeduhu. Birrubiyyatihi. Wa uluhiyyatihi. Wa asma'ihi. Wa sifatihi. So it is incumbent. And wajib. Yani. Uh, to establish a tawheed. In his lord. Yani. In his lordship. In his uluhiyyat. That all ibadah belong to him. And to him alone. And in his names. And in his attributes. And then the shaykh. He gets into. Uh, a slight explanation. Uh, as as relates to a tawheed al rububiyyah wa tawheed al uluhiyyah wa tawheed al asma'i wa sifat yani the 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 uh, uh the three categories of a tawheed but bi'nilahi ta'ala we will save that until the next class fa naktafi bihadha al qadar wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in wa jazakumullahu خيرا